I'm Clint Emerson, and welcome to season two of Can You Survive This Podcast, where the interview is just as dangerous as the scenarios I put my guests through. From hostage situations to natural disasters, carjackings, active shooters, and more, if you're looking for the skills necessary to survive these situations, then this is the show for you. We're going to go ahead and get started. And number one, thank you for purchasing The Rugged Life. I really do appreciate it. Um, The goal is to get everyone to be a little more self-reliant, give people options, give people backup plans, make people think outside the box, and uh, hopefully not rely on these things so much, right? Even though the reason why we put modern right it is the modern guide to self-reliance because it's not to throw technology out it's just to leverage it um to be more self-reliant self-sufficient okay so tonight's theme really is talking about tools tools to be more self-reliant and uh if you were to add up all the tools in this book you will have spent a lot of money and uh, obviously that's not the goal it's really about Picking the tool for whatever it is you are uh, interested in, really. Uh, this book is is set up so that you can either dip your toe into self-reliance or you can take a full plunge. But I would say, you know, take it slow, take it easy, because it requires a lot of patience, a lot of trial and error. And there's a certain amount of mindset that comes with being self-reliant. You've got to be willing to fail and fail a whole bunch of times and then take the lessons learned from failing and shove them in to your next try and then in the end you'll probably be very successful and have learned a lot about whatever project it is you're working on in yourself um and really if you take everything in here it's just the basics i mean each chapter is volumes of books out there uh but what i wanted to do was create more of the lifestyle and that's why it's the 10 chapters, which is be your own builder, be your own power grid, be your own farmer, be your own butcher, be your own hunter, be your own homemaker, be your own protector, be your own RTO, which is radio telephone operator in the military, which is a comms guy. So be your own RTO, be your own first responder, and of course, be your own handyman. Um, so you literally can pick what part, part of the lifestyle is interesting to you and then pick a project or two and start incorporating them into your lifestyle Uh, those that when the pandemic hit decided to buy land in a cabin in the mountains they thought to themselves how romantic i'm going to chop my own wood and we're going to have a wood burning stove and we're all going to stay cuddly warm on the couch with our blankets every night but there is a lot of people who shifted so quickly into the uh, cabin in the middle of nowhere lifestyle and then they turned around and had to quit about a month into it because they realized very quickly how hard it really is so i i uh, suggest you take it one step at a time (laughs) all right unless of course you just want to go buy a cabin in the mountains then by all means do it all right be your own builder so tools we're concentrating on tonight i mean the first one that i use on a regular basis I mean, for everything around my house or my properties is a cordless drill, right? Um, This is not even a good one, and it does everything I need it to do. But some of the functions that people don't know is the numbering system that up on the top here, right? It regulates the torque. So if you look at one end, it's got the actual drill bit illustration, And then it goes one, two, three, four, five, all the way to 11 as you move around. And you can rotate so that, you know, you can pick your torque. Most people will get frustrated with their drill because they don't have it on the right setting. So if you've got too much torque and you're trying to, like, drill a screw screw into something, then it'll the torque is so high that it will bounce past what you're wanting to do and so it's too much and you gotta you gotta take some of that take some of it take some of the torque out um, based on whether you have a drill bit here or you have a phillips head screwdriver so you can make this a driver right or you can use it as a drill 
Um, of course, they're cordless. These batteries. This is a tw this is a twenty volt, so it goes for a long time. It has an embedded flashlight, but without a doubt, you know, when it comes to be your own builder, you got to have one of these. Next, and it's interesting because I have gone away. I have found myself using mallets more than using your typical steel-headed claw or ball-peen hammer, right? Um, what I like about it is it still does the job of a hammer. Now, if I was going to be using a lot of nails in one day, then obviously I wouldn't use this. For But for just about everything else, I find myself using a mallet instead of using any, any of your metal hammer options mainly because it's got a lot of surface area so i'm never going to miss whatever it is that i'm hitting the other thing because it's plastic or rubber uh it doesn't destroy whatever it is i'm hammering i can be hammering thin sheet metal or i can be hammering something into sheetrock and i know that i'm not going to put a big dent in the wall I mean, this is a lot softer, a lot lighter. Um, I can also use it, you know, if I'm forcing wood wedges into something or if I'm building, you know, let's say it's, you know, these days we're having everything drop shipped to us, right? So let's say you get a crate at your front door that has your new grill and you've got to put that thing together. Uh, a mallet is a far better option than that of a metal headed um, hammer because you're going to inevitably end up knocking a dent or knocking something out of shape, uh, especially with the, the number of things you can order and have to put together when it shows up to your house. Okay. So I just find myself using this guy a lot. All right. And the last piece on Be Your Own Builder that comes in super handy and it's simple is a magnet. Okay. So you can go buy yourself a stud finder, but I hate those things. And I'm surprised no one's mastered the technology yet. But a magnet just going in an S motion, right? If I use this magnet and just go like big S movements across the wall, then this thing will stop and hang on a nail, okay? It's sheetrock is then nailed to the studs in your wall. And so this will find those nails and then you know there's a stud there. And then if you find two of them, vertically now you know right exactly where center is so and i use this magnet i can tie string onto this thing and if i drop a screw drop something behind something that i can't easily move then i can send this down and pick up um anything metal that you know has been lost forever behind you know whatever it is <laughs> so i find myself using little earth magnets all the time and are super useful Okay, moving into uh, be your own power grid. Now, a lot of the stuff mentioned in there is was a little difficult for me to just bring in here, like solar panels and stuff like that. But one of my favorite parts of be your own power grid is the geothermal stuff, right? I mean, who would have thought that if you dig six to eight feet down, it's a nice 55 degrees all year round, no matter where you are on the planet. Unless, of course, you're near a volcano or something. But 55 degrees is the standard for most parts of the world if you dig 50, uh, 6 to 8 feet below the surface, the frost line. Okay, um, And then using PVC piping, right? you can cut, let's say, 1 to 2 inch lengths, elbow joints, T-joints, and create a PVC, PVC pipe grid, right? And then... On that grid is a is a uh, an intake, if you will, and then on the other end of the grid is your exhaust. Okay, and you can buy these little cheap solar fans that will fit into a PVC pipe, and then you put them in directional, right? So you'd want the intake side to pull the ambient air in. And then you would want the fan arranged on the exhaust side so that it pulls the air through the pipes and into, let's say, your home. So anyway, once you get that grid built, or first, once you've dug a six to eight foot trench, that is the same square footage of the PVC pipe grid you build, you lay it down in there and you bury it six to eight feet below the surface. And sticking out will be two different pipes, okay? 
One will be your intake. One will be your exhaust. Your exhaust is connected to your home or your shed or whatever that you're wanting to, to climate control. And then your input then has the fan inside, solar panel. It's turning all the time. It's pulling in, let's say, 100-degree weather. And as it gets pulled into that PVC pipe grid that you've built, it gets cooled off. And then the fan that's hooked up to your exhaust and pushing into your shed or to your home uh, will now get cool air, right? And 55 degrees probably doesn't sound too um, warm unless you live way up north. The 55 degrees sounds just fine. <laughs> um, so you you aren't going to get 55 degrees out of it. You're probably going to get, you know, the test that uh, a family that, I interviewed did is they had 120 degree weather and they were able to use their geothermal PVC pipe grid and it cooled once it went through the grid and came out through the exhaust side it was cooled to about 60 65 degrees and that is a hundred percent free climate control um, but it is my favorite part of the be your own power grid and I think it's it's interesting um, why it's really not out there as much as you would like probably because you know it's so free that there's a lot of companies out there that wouldn't be able to make anything off of it other than build uh sell the pre-made or prefabricated kits that i've seen um, but it's worth looking into if you've got um, the ability and the square footage outside your home to do it so that's be your own power grid pvc pipe pvc pipe glue elbow joints t-joints and then, of course, two solar-powered fans, <laughs> which are like 30 40 bucks on Amazon. Okay. The next one is Be Your Own Farmer. So I didn't bring it in here, but, you know, the thing that I've been using on my property the most as it relates to farming, other than uh, a tractor, right? A tractor would be the ideal, is the ideal tool, Um and because you can do so many things with it. Now, they're pricey, um, but once you have one and you maintain it, it'll last you forever. Uh, but what I like about some of the, like the John Deere option, um, they come with so many uh, tools that you can hook onto it, right? And they now sell all that as package deals. Uh, but other than the expensive tractor with all of the all of the tools that can hook onto it, um, the the simplest thing is the shovel. Without a doubt, I find myself using that more often than not. Um, and there are three or four or half a dozen kinds of um, general shovels out there. You know, you've got the square nosed, you've got the spade nosed, um, all of these different kinds of shovels. Uh, I, I like the square one just because it's more surface area uh, for when I'm, for example, I have um, two animal shelters and moving the sawdust around. I like that big scooping capability. Right. Um, but I also have a side garden where I've got, uh, you know, some banana trees that are just now starting to pop up. So anyway, on the side gardens in the front. I'm also using that shovel all the time. Uh, when it's time to remove, like I, we had a huge freeze here in Texas and it killed um, two or three of these smaller uh, trees that I've got going. And so when it's time to dig up roots, I'm using the shovel. I mean, uh, but like I said, depending on where you live and what you do and what you consider your form of farming you know, then you might need something other than a shovel. But for right now, the shovel is like my number one tool these days. Um, and not to mention, it's a great workout. With that is a good pair of gloves, right? So that you can look like Rip on Yellowstone. You got to have these either in your back pocket or ideally they're on your hands. But if you want to look like Rip, he's got these things on his back pocket. <laughs> and um, leather, right? These are leather. Uh, and I tell you what, they'll save you um, a lot of pain and heartache. Um, whether it's you pick up something that's been sitting in the sun and it's blazing hot, you don't get burned. Uh, just using it for manual labor. You don't tear up your hands. I work out all the time without gloves, so I've already got a ton of calluses 
and you know my hands are kind of rough already but having that extra layer of protection allows me to be a little more aggressive with anything I'm trying to manhandle. Um, because if you're not, if you don't have gloves on your hand, you'll find that you don't actually, you're not allowed to expend as much energy as you'd like, whatever it is you're doing. And so I feel like gloves allow you to really work. Um, and making sure you got a good leather pair and once they're broken in, man, they're like a good pair of boots. You'll just never get rid of them, which leads me to the second thing is the boots, right? Boots on my feet. You can wear more of your adventure style boot, or you can wear, um, more of a Western type boot. And, uh, I find that I'm here on Texas, I've grown up with boots. So I wear those most of the time. Um, but what I like most is because there's snakes. Uh, the boot goes up halfway up my calf. I've got my jeans over it. And um, when I was in the Navy, I actually told this story the other day. Uh, I had we were patrolling and there was, a, you know, when you're patrolling, you're patrolling single file. And it was in a desert environment. There was a guy in front of me, a guy behind me. The guy in front of me passed up a small shrub on his left. And just as he passed, you heard the rattle go, right? By the time I got there and all my senses kicked in and realized, wait a minute, that was down to the left, it full on went into strike mode, right? And a snake can strike two thirds its body length. So if it's a three foot snake, it can basically jump out two feet, right? So this thing hit the side of my combat boot and bounced off and i got lucky right his fangs couldn't penetrate um but the funny part was is you saw you know these grown badass men all jump about three to four feet into the air <laughs> scared of this rattlesnake <laughs> uh both the guy in front of me me and the and the two guys behind me we all jumped at the same time because <laughs> nobody actually really knew where it was coming from it's a deceiving sound anyway you know if you find yourself outside all the time and actually start working on your property um, a high boot is highly recommended uh, just for just for the the snake attack alone right all right um, moving on be your own butcher let's see here you can't be a good butcher without a good knife right so a good fixed blade knife uh, once again probably one of the most universal tools and applies to more than just the be your own butcher chapter uh, this particular one was made by a buddy sh9 sh9.com um, he's a seal he makes these uh, these are all handmade he does an incredible kitchen collection uh, so you should check it out and this one uh, well this one a lot of times what he does that's special too is he inlays um the fallen's ashes right so most of the knives i have of his the handle is actually made out of the ashes of some of my you know fallen seal buddies uh it does an incredible process it's really cool it adds to the knife um but you know you want to make sure you got a good knife good steel and you keep it sharp uh that's a big part of being a good butcher and being able to cut your meat um, and field dress and break down the animals properly. Uh, everybody's first time, you're going to waste 50% of the animal. It's just the way it is. But the more you field dress and the more you butcher, the, the better you get at it, and you end up harvesting more and more and more each time. Uh, it just takes practice. So I think that's an obvious one. If you're going to butcher, you got to have a knife. Or, you know, an axe will work too if you're an American Psycho fan. <laughs> All right. Now, uh, next one is, let's see here, be your own hunter. So the book covers sighting in a rifle, different kinds of rifles. I purposely excluded um, the semi-automatic rifle because I wanted to keep the book within the price point of what most people can afford, you know, um, a semi-automatic will certainly do the job for hunting, but a bolt action is the one that's used most often. And uh, a bolt action rifle, um, you can have it can have a magazine like this, or uh, it can have a. Uh, there's just a myriad of ways to feed a bolt action, right? 
a magazine, a clip, and then there's there's other ways. Um, and it's got a basically you're going to eject and load each round manually, but it is the most popular for hunting. And then you want to have a good scope. Um, I'm actually about to do a trip that I will uh, record and put on my YouTube channel where I'm going to actually show up to this guy who uses all kinds of high-tech hunting devices and rifles and ammunition. Um, but I'm going to show up with my dad's bolt-action Ruger with like a $40 scope on it on purpose, right? Because I want to contrast the fact that, yeah, you can go buy all the technology and that's cool and it makes hunting easier, but you can still get away with doing the same damn thing with a rifle that my dad used when he was a kid. Um, so I wanted to keep it in the price point. So you got bolt action, lever actions, you know, um, and a couple other rifles I mentioned in that ch chapter. Um, but obviously that is going to be your main tool uh, for hunting. Um, obviously getting into other forms of hunting, like, uh, bow hunting, for example, I thought about adding it, but I figured I'd save it for later, mainly because bow hunting is a totally different, uh, animal in itself. It relies heavily on camouflage and you've got to look at all five of your senses and what they're broadcasting to animals. The big one being scent. Um, and it's a it's a very very technical uh, and tactical um, sport, if you will, uh, bow hunting. Whereas hunting with a rifle um, is more like a it's where you start in the hunting world, right? You, know, you can set back further. You don't have to worry so much about camouflage, um, and you still get to harvest meat at the end of the day. Uh, so I kept that chapter very simple, very basic, um, with intentions to get into more details, maybe at a later, at a later date. Hey, this is Clint Emerson, retired Navy SEAL. I get a lot of questions about my morning routine. So here it is in a nutshell. 5 a.m., wake up. First cup of coffee, I dump Bub's Naturals MCT oil in there. And then I mix it around with one of those little automatic stir spoon thingies that make it all frothy and creamy. And then my second cup, I dump Bub's Naturals collagen in there. Now, the reason I do both is the first one, MCT, fuels my brain. It gets me up, allows me to focus on whatever I've got going on. The second cup of coffee has collagen, which honestly, it's like lubrication for my joints. It makes my neck and my shoulders, my left hip and my left knee feel pretty damn good. And it wasn't until I went over to Australia that I realized that this stuff really does work. I was overseas for about 45 days. And in the first week, I wasn't so focused in the morning. In fact, I was a little foggy and my neck was hurting. My shoulders were hurting. And I thought to myself, eh, it's just jet lag, different pillow, a different mattress. And then it dawned on me, I don't have my bubs with me. The day I got back to the States, I immediately started back up, and within a week of being home, I was focused again, my joints didn't hurt, and I was like, holy, I can tell you that Bub's Naturals works. Great for your skin and hair, by the way. Everything feels good. Unlike a lot of supplements out there, it actually works, and that's the key takeaway here. It works. I'm telling you you will notice a difference. Check out bubsnaturals.com and order some MCT and collagen now. And don't forget to use promo code CANYOUSURVIVE. Then we have be your own homemaker. Be your own homemaker. So what did I bring for that? You know, the big one, um, because we're talking about everything from... Uh, you know, hair products. Uh, I, I didn't think it was necessary to bring coconut oil, but that is definitely like my number one tool, if you will, for that chapter. I was blown away at how many things you can make with coconut oil. <laughs> I mean, it's like we all think of it. Well, I think of it in terms of like, you know, things that you do with coconut oil <laughs> as far as lubricants for your rifle um or you can use it to make shampoo you can use it to make pomade uh, you know different types of like hair gel type stuff um conditioner 
you can mix coconut oil with uh, with like beeswax and uh, increase its viscosity or thicken it up and then use it for all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's a it's a pretty powerful little ingredient uh, that can do a lot of things around the home besides cooking with. Right. I mean, that's all we think about it for. Um, but that's it. That's my pick for that chapter. Homemaker, you got to have the coconut oil. That stuff is awesome. Um, be your own protector. So we talk about the good old little revolver. Now, this is a Smith & Wesson J-frame. Um, it's basically a super lightweight aluminum frame. Uh, it's a, You can put 38 or 357 in it. It's hammerless, right? There's no hammer. It's all internal. So this thing is going to fire every single time. Now, of course, it has limitations, right? There's only so many bullets. You're going to have to re reload it really soon. But it's small. It's lightweight. Um, but like I tell people all the time, guns are something you've got to go and use. And I, I always recommend go to a shooting range and uh, play around with different... Uh, handguns, different frames, right? And different um, calibers, if you will, and see what works best for you, right? I don't get too hung up like some gun guys do about, you know, all of the uh, minute details. Uh, I was one of those seals that if you gave me a gun, you go sight it in, I'll use it. I don't get, I don't get too picky about it. Um, but I love these little J frames. They're inexpensive. They're great for home protection. Um, they do have their limitations as far as ammunition is concerned and the and the amount of stuff you can like throw on here, right? You can throw a light on here, you can throw laser, you could throw, you know, heck, you could probably even throw a rail on top and put a red dot on it. But I mean, come on. Um, you don't really need to. Uh, but if if the if the revolver style isn't your thing, then of course there's, you know, semi-automatic options. This one is uh, a Glock lower with shadow systems, barrel, titanium nitrate, um, you know, and then, of course, the slide is ported and grooved. The barrel is uh, dimpled. And then I've got a red dot on here, which this one's nine millimeter. It, too, is great for home protection. Um, we get into a little bit of that in there in the uh, Be Your Own Protector. Uh, obviously, handguns and, and, you know, they take training. You've got to stay up on your skills, no doubt about it. Um, I also added in there, of course, shotgun. You know, a shotgun is great. It's kind of a, a the further away you are from the target, it becomes an area weapon. So keep that in mind, right? Uh, those those BBs that come flying out start out all together, and then they spread out over distance. So. Uh, you have to, you know, obviously take that into consideration when you pull the trigger. Um, the other thing I would also bring up is frangible rounds, you know, frangible rounds, um, have become popular. We're very popular for us in the military during a uh, close quarter battle. You don't want your rounds to go through walls and potentially kill a hostage. So the rounds break up on impact. Um, so th that's ideal to have for home protection loaded into your gun. So that way a round doesn't go through sheetrock and kill a family member. So a lot of that stuff is covered in, uh, in that chapter. And of course you can't, you cannot, you know, make these primary tools when you talk about being your own protector. So there's just some ideas. Um, and like I brought up in the book, people get hung up on, the type of gun, the caliber, and all of that stuff, all I ever tell people is bullet placement, bullet placement, bullet placement. More people around the globe have died from 22 rounds than probably any other round, um, especially in assassinations. The 22 has been used quite extensively, uh, and that's a very, very small bullet shot out of, you know, $100, $200 guns, right? So... Bullet placement is all that matters, uh, at least for me. All right. Be your own RTO. Uh, so being your own radio telephone basically means have a comms plan. Um, now, there's a lot of different ways of communicating, right? We think of it in terms of our cell phone. 
but the reality is, is the cell phone is a primary and it's great. You should, this should be your primary because it's easy to use. You usually have it everywhere you go. So this is your 911, no doubt about it. And it, and it probably will always be your primary, but you need to think about secondary and tertiary means of communicating. And the way that it's broken out in there in the book is, you know, think of your property and where you live, uh, these, these rings, right? You have at home, then you have outside your fence line, then you have outside of your acreage, then you have outside of the town and outside your state um, and being able to collect information, um, especially national broadcasts um, is a good idea. So to get the furthest information, yeah, a shortwave radio is great. And there's a lot of different ones out there on the market. I forgot mine. Um but you don't need to spend a lot of money. They do a, they do a great job. I listed some of the most popular frequencies uh, in the chapter that will give you all the information you need. Um, and that's basically one way how to get information. Short wave, right? Um, and that's assuming, let's say, towers go down, your cell phone dies, electricity is you can't recharge. I mean, there's a number of issues that could happen to your primary. So, of course, you've got your shortwave radio uh, to collect information, know what's going on in the world. Um, and then there's actually the two-way, right? Two-way radios. And so you can get into HF, HF radios, um, you know, will basically let you talk much, much further away. You can actually bounce your radio waves off the stratosphere and actually talk to people halfway around the world. Uh, you can talk to people on ISS up in the International Space Station, Um you know, it's just building an antenna. You don't have to build expensive ones and having a radio that has enough wattage, right? Um, and then you can start playing within the different bands, right? So if we had a, uh, a clear piece of plexiglass in front of me, I would take a marker and I would start with big waves and then I would get shorter, you know, smaller waves, right? Big waves represent HF and then middle is like your... You like right in the middle would be UHF VHF, right? As the as the waves get narrower, then they get bigger. That's kind of moving out of UHF VHF into HF, um, and their distance is almost kind of calculated the same way. HF the big waves can go further than the VHF UHF waves, um, but there's a myriad of radios out there. Beofang um, is kind of the more popular one. Get them on Amazon for thirty forty bucks. Um, and you can start playing around and programming and listening to all kinds of, um, radio stations out there. Uh, some of them are informative. Some of them are just, you know, uh, ham operators that have nightly shows or they do check-ins with one another. Um, and there's a whole world of code words and code names in the ham radio world. Uh, but. Anyway, it's just a good idea to think in terms of those layers, right? How do I talk to people, you know, in my area? Uh, how do I talk to my family on my property? And then how do I collect information when nothing else is working? Okay. Um, let's see here. You know, being your own handyman and then, of course, homemaker, both of those would... They're, they're portions, handyman especially. Probably one of my favorite tools that'll keep you alive is a multimeter, right? In its, own, in its most basic usage, it basically confirms whether or not the power is on or off to the socket or to the fixture or to the garage door opener, whatever it is that you want to make sure the power is either on or off. Most of the time you're trying to ensure that the power is off, right? So that then you can change the fixture. You can change the outlet. You can go to your panel in your garage and you can flip that switch, right? Go to our panels and on the door, it usually says, you know, fuse one is the, the kitchen and blah, 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 all the way down, right? But there's nothing saying that that is 100% accurate, right? So I highly recommend when you start doing anything, anything that has to do with basic electronics or electricity around your home, you have a multimeter, right? And you can take these prongs, positive and negative, right? Black and red. And then you can touch to any of the points 
whether it's an outlet or the wires uh, coming off a fixture and ensure that the power is off before you start, you know, touching wires and changing out things. Right. Um, so I, I, you know, a little government story. I had mini- a miniature version of this that I couldn't find for tonight, um, but it's super small. It was like, I mean, the size of a wallet. And then it had these little pull-out prongs. It was super, super covert and cool for uh, for geeks, right? And um, but if I was in a Target, you know, my main job: clandestine methods of entry, breaking into bad guys' homes, and putting in audio, video, you name it. Um, it I had to make in a lot of my devices that I installed was what we would call ran off parasitic power, right? And that's when you're you're piggybacking off whatever power sources are already there so that you don't have to use batteries. Because if you use batteries, that means I've got to come back every couple of nights and replace the batteries in order for the technology that I'm installing to work. Um, so parasitic power, uh, you know, is that's, that's basically where I learned to appreciate multimeters because then I could check and make sure one, it had power and two, that my devices were all working properly based on what I was connecting it to, you know? Um, so anyway, multimeter, there you go. Uh, all right. Next we've got part of, uh, I kind of skipped some things here being your own hunter, right. And also falls under um a little bit under you know communication is the different kinds of gps's that are out there um this technology has come a long ways you know when i was in the navy this device right here uh was about that big right the size of my face (laughs) and that was like thirty thousand dollar gps unit it was the coolest thing in the world um and all it told you was you know current latin long in an eight digit it didn't have maps it didn't have anything else in it um but now you fast forward 20 plus years and holy shit i mean this thing you can load every single map of the planet into it um and it does so much these things even communicate um some of them communicate with each other and some of them communicate through apps on your phones so it's a great way to track yourself or your family they can log in and track you too uh, so that you, everyone knows where everybody is at. So Garmin definitely has come to come to the top. Uh, uh, back in the day, that used to be Magellan. If anybody remembers that, Magellan was kind of ahead of Garmin, um, just like you know TomTom at one time was ahead of everyone when it came to more of your uh, vehicle GPSs. Um, but anyway, I love Garmin products. It's, you know, I'm just plugging them because I like them and they've always done me right. Um, I've got the, uh, the Phoenix, uh, the, the watches, the watches do everything that this thing does, right? It's got maps. It's got everything amazing, but you know, the key really is knowing where you're at, um, and letting other people know where you are too. And it's also another form of communication. Um, and then there, I talk about different beacons that are out there as well. Uh, even the beacons these days, like InReach, uh, Garmin InReach. Garmin bought InReach, and that is just an awesome technology that works in association with your phone and allows you to communicate via satellite, right? So think about it. Cell phones go down, radio, you, let's say you just, you know, you don't have one. Um, you'll still be able to communicate uh, through satellites with some of the new Garmin products, which is super cool. Um, For a monthly subscription, of course. (laughs) Uh, All right. So, I mean, I'm looking at my table here of other other things that I forgot to talk about. Um, A multi-tool. Can't go wrong with multi-tool. You know, Leatherman was kind of like the leader for a long time, but now there's, man, everybody makes a multi-tool these days. Uh, You know, this one's Kershaw. Uh, it was popular at one time, um, but there's plenty of them out there. They come in varieties of quality of steel is really the big difference, and then engineering and design. Um, but I find myself grabbing one of these pretty regularly. Uh, literally today, I was having to switch out a tire on my riding lawnmower, 
And then the jack that I had had this itty bitty little valve that I was supposed to be able to twist with my fingers, which I couldn't. So I ended up using the little needle nose portion of this. But very handy, worthwhile having in your car, in your home. I mean, you could put them in every drawer and you'd be glad you did it because they were always there to work for you. We will be right back after the break. Be your own first responder. So in that one, we follow the acronym MARCH, M-A-R-C-H, which uh, special operations basically coined that acronym early on in the wars, right? So in Afghanistan and Iraq, it's where we were performing combat medicine on a regular basis. And we learned, number one, what used to be last case scenario became first case scenario. Right. And that is a tourniquet. You cannot go wrong having one of these everywhere. Right. So it is for major bleeders of extremities. Right. And that discludes your head. Our head is kind of an extremity, but you wouldn't want to put a tourniquet around your neck. <laughs> Not that you would. I'm just saying it out loud because common sense isn't that common anymore. Anyway, the uh, tourniquet, you know, the rule is really simple. Go high or die, right? So once you pull this thing out, you're going to go all the way up under to the armpit or you're going to come all the way up to into the groin and you're going to crank it down and then you're going to keep cranking until the bleeding stops. Um, it used to be a last resort because there was an untested theory that if you put a tourniquet on someone and if it stays on for more than a couple of hours, then you would be forced to amputate that limb because it didn't get circulation. There would be nerve damage, blah, 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 blah. It turned out to all be bullshit because we were putting tourniquets on people that where they didn't actually get help or get their wound taken care of for upwards to 96 hours. Uh, and their limb, once they did, go to surgery, uh, their limbs were fine afterwards. So that's 96 hours of, you know, no um, circulation to a limb and it was fine. So that's why tourniquets now have become your first choice for major bleeders of extremities. Okay. Outside of that, building a little blowout kit. We call them blowout kits, but these little, uh, they're basically they're trauma kits, right? So this one's vacuum packed and ready to go. Um, so food savers are great. They're inexpensive. You can buy this plastic and seal everything up. Like it's almost like an addiction. You start to just vacuum pack everything. <laughs> so um, this has an occlusive dressing, right? For chest injuries. Um, anything that has to do with the lungs. It's got quick clot, right? Quick clot will is a powder that you can actually pour into a wound and it has a chemical reaction with your blood and creates a almost like a cauterizing effect or that's the old stuff. Sorry, the new stuff actually clots. It influences clotting. Um, and then you've got pressure dressings. Uh, you've got a 14 gauge needle here for decompressions. I mean, a lot of this requires some training, but it all follows the acronym March that I put in the book. Um, but a tourniquet and a first aid kit, a trauma kit that deals with worst case scenario or deals with March March is M is massive hemorrhage, right? So that's your big bleeders. Those are things you want to deal with first. Okay. And then A is airway. You got to ensure someone's breathing, right? They need oxygen, oxygenate the, the blood, then it keeps everything else healthy. Um, then you've got respirations, right? Is their chest going up and down? You know, uh, are they actually breathing? Airway is more like, hey, I'm going to open your mouth. I'm going to look, listen, feel. I'm going to ensure there's no obstructions. Um and then C is circulation, right? You're checking pulses close to the heart and then far from the heart. Um, and if they've got pulses, you know, close to the heart and far from the heart, then they're probably doing okay. Um, and then H is hypothermia uh, or, and I guess, you know, also H, you know, it, there's different um, information out there, but head injury, right? you know, conscious, unconscious, um, and then hypothermia, you always want to treat for that. So prevent shock. Um, okay. So that's, uh, that is be your own first responder and some of the tools that go with that chapter, be your own handyman. We kind of got out of order there and I have exhausted, you know, more than 10 of the tools I brought for tonight. Now let's open it up to the Q and a, uh, so that we stay on time here. 
So, Tara, what part of the book is most tedious to write? Uh, the most tedious? Uh, you know, it was probably what my weakest, like farmer, be your own farmer, um, and be your own homemaker were probably the ones that I wasn't really 100% up to speed on. Uh, and so... Those required a little more brain power than the others. You know, it's when you're writing about things you actually have done or you know, it's so much easier. Um, but when you're writing based on, you know, visiting families and talking to people and research, then now you've got to kind of envision um, some of those skills discussed and then put them into words. So um, those are probably a little, little more difficult. Uh, are you still doing any other shows for Warrior Poet Society and any of them along the lines of the stuff with Rugged Life? Yeah, so I've been talking to John over at Warrior Poet, and he is interested. Um, he's overseas right now, so can't get any straight answers out of him. But uh, I'll certainly be updating on all my social if that happens. But it would be the Rugged Life as a TV series and probably be, you know, a dozen episodes or so covering a lot of this stuff uh, because John is now a a new homesteader. He bought a farm. He's got horses. He's got, you know, all that kind of stuff going on now. So he's really interested. Uh, what things from the book have you incorporated into your life so far? Well, like I kind of was pushing in my social, these are like lost dad skills, right? So growing up with a dad where I was always the gopher in the garage. I was the gopher out in the yard. I was the gopher for him for everything. And uh, so I grew up with a, with like a lot of the handyman stuff. I grew up with some of the homemaker stuff and, uh, and then a lot of the builder um, stuff and then Hunter, of course. I mean, as I go through, I actually grew up with a lot of this stuff. Um, but now as an adult, and I'm not in the military and I'm not gone all the time. Now I've been incorporating a lot of this into my lifestyle here in Texas. So it's, uh, and I'm trying to tackle the things that I'm weakest on first. So, you know, the gardening side, the farming side, uh, those are the things I'm certainly incorporating now. Um, then let's see, geothermal. What about bacterial growth in the pipes? That's a great question. Um, I think, uh, there is a process uh, that like a uh, an annual or a biannual deal that you would you would have to do, um, whether it's just flooding it with organic based chemicals that prevent it um, or having to actually just fill it and clean it. Right. Uh, I know there's like pressure systems, almost like pressure cleaning it um, that you can do. But that's a great question. And I'm obviously a little weak on it. I remember uh, seeing two or three articles on it. Um, but at your intake is the key. You can put in a filtration. Uh, it's almost like a spongy-like um, uh, filler that can go in and filters a lot of stuff out before it gets down into geothermal. But filtration systems, they, they are pretty cheap these days. Right. Uh, what's the number one reason of people you interview gave you for living off grid or getting into the lifestyle? Uh, good question, Melissa. You know, for the most part, it ended up being freedom and independence. Um, you know, these are folks that they're not they're not what you think. It's, <laughs> you know, initially I thought, oh, they're way off grid. You know, they're like militia members or something. <laughs> but you know, it's furthest from the case. They're actually just folks that want to create like, you know, uh, an air gap between themselves and the government or themselves and taxes. They want to create a gap between themselves and supply chain issues. Um, people, once I, once I started interviewing them and you got to remember, I did the interviews during the pandemic. They weren't affected by it. Like they could care less what was going on. Yeah, I was expecting to roll up to people, you know, with uh, 
with probably Confederate flags and, you know, out in the middle of nowhere with their rifles and, you know, escorting me into uh, their camps. But it just wasn't the case. They're just folks that just want to separate themselves and kind of be able to do their own thing how they want to do it, you know. And uh, it's not until you go out and see it and you go, wow, this is actually pretty cool. And, uh, you know, and, I, and like I said at the beginning, you don't have to jump into it that extreme. Really, it's this book is set up so you can kind of no matter whether you live in New York or you live here in suburb Dallas or you live, uh, you know, out in the middle of nowhere, Utah, uh, there's skills that you can incorporate into your uh, into your life. Uh, all right. Let's see here. Um, I'm going to try and do tasks with a four year old to get him into it. What areas uh, do you think are the easiest to start with? Oh, wow. A four-year-old. Um, man, I think a lot of these, you know, it really depends. It, it, you know, getting in the kitchen and doing some of the homemaker stuff, I think, is great and easy. Uh, it's kind of a controlled environment, you know. It's safe. Um, but... I think, too, you know, getting into the first responder stuff, you know, how to control bleeding, how to use a first aid kit. I think those are great skills to learn young. Um, that way, if dad injures, you know, himself, you've got kids there that can help you and and be an asset rather than being an, a liability. So I think that's how I'd break it down is, you know, how do you, you know, um, how do you make yourself or make your family members assets rather than liabilities. And I think that's how you should look at it. And that'll help you prioritize what you should teach them first. Um, what skill would you develop over your career? Do you think um, take most for granted and that you notice most people do not uh, benefit from? Well, that's a good one. I mean, the first part of the question, I was going to say awareness, right? It wasn't until I started traveling around alone and operating in more of a, you know, covert clandestine manner that I realized how important awareness is. Um, you really got to pay attention to people's behavior. Um, but that also can apply to this world. I mean, being your own protector is all about awareness. And then also, you know, if you're out and it's hunting, hunting is very much about your all of your senses and they become very sensitive and now you are truly become a predator and when you become that predator then you start noticing far more um, and it's real easy too to get that tunnel vision and you have to remember to kind of widen and open up your aperture so that you're not getting blindsided by something else so i think that's kind of a little bit of the second part of your question is if you're going to pay attention to things make sure you're doing it in a manner that isn't shutting off other senses or creating a uh, another vulnerability i will let you guys go and start uh hitting up each chapter some tasks and if you don't mind head over to amazon and give it five stars and some funny comments and i'll make sure to read them on my uh, my podcast so i hope everyone takes care out there thank you for purchasing the book thank you for your time and uh i'll check back in with you guys again at a later date can you survive this podcast is a production of calvary audio and iheart media recorded live from a secure location here in dallas texas Produced by Brandon Morgan, Jeff Apple, and Clint Emerson. Executive produced by Keegan Rosenberger and Dana Brunetti. For Calvary Audio, I'm Clint Emerson. <laughs>